Welcome to the Communities Podcast. We greet you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus, whom we adore, of course. We pray this word will richly bless you and speak to your heart. Enjoy. You've got your Bibles with you. Just go Matthew 7. And now we have to deal with load shedding as well. Matthew chapter number 7. And this morning we'll be talking about you will know them by their fruit. Uh, Jeremy decided that he didn't like my title, so he would change it. You got to pray for the bishop. One moment I get told I got to pitch up somewhere, not pitch up somewhere. This is what you'll be preaching on. That's why I ask every Sunday, Jeremy, what am I preaching on this Sunday? And he's like, the stage. And then he goes and changes my sermons and the titles of my sermons. Matthew chapter number seven. And something that, that's been sitting with me for a while, uh, and you can go to the quotation if you want to. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, I came across this quotation from Stephen Dunn, who was a poet. And uh, this has been bothering me for a while, this one statement that we're going to read today in Matthew chapter number 7. is because you will know them by their fruit. And uh, I remember asking a, 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 a man of God that I, I respect quite a lot. And I asked him, what does that mean, the, the, their fruit? You will know them by their fruit. And, uh, and the, specifically in Matthew chapter number 7, the context is prophet. And he said, you know them by how accurate they are, how, you know, they, you know, uh, in other words, the word that they'd say, how it comes to pass, that kind of thing. And, and I left there being a little bit bothered by that because it was not satisfying. I don't know how many of you have heard someone explain something to them. And then when you walk away, you're like, I don't know, there's a little bit more there that I want to go after. There's a little bit more. It's like it didn't satisfy me. Obviously, whenever I've explained something, everybody's always been satisfied. So obviously that doesn't include me. But when other people have explained things to you, and I, I came across this quote, and I, and I like it, and it says, I've tried to become someone else for a while, only to, to, only to discover that he too was me, that he too was me. So I want us to go into Matthew chapter number seven, and uh, it's a little bit funny because last week as well, when, when they had the scriptures up, uh, when I was preparing for last week's sermon, I was using a different New King James Bible, which meant the scripture was on a different page. And then when I sent the scriptures to the tech team, it didn't have the numbers. So I was confused because I was looking at my page and I was like, this doesn't look like it's on the right page. And I looked there and I was like, where's the verse numbers? But this week, this week, I repented from my transgression and I have corrected myself. So this week I included the verse numbers. Um, but let's just read from Matthew seven fifteen to 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. This is Jesus speaking. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. If we could just go back one, one slide for me, Jeremy, please. I want us just to, 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 I want to show you something. In 2010, I asked that question. And last year, it dropped into my spirit. What does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean that you will know them by their fruit? Oftentimes when we read the scripture, we make this mistake. We associate the fact that God was talking, uh, Jesus who is talking here is talking about prophets, that we assume that he is talking about you will know a prophet by their fruit and we judge the fruit by the calling, not by the person. 
Because there is a difference between calling and who you are as a person. Because when God speaks to you, he doesn't speak to you by what you're called. He speaks to you as a son or a daughter of the living God. Which means that when Jesus said you will know them by their fruits, what your brain does is your brain immediately associates, beware of false prophets, which is the calling. The prophet is the calling, not being false prophet is not a calling, but you will be aware of false prophets. And he goes, you will know them by their fruit. And we assume that what they did as a prophet, we will then judge then, instead of understanding that if I am a good tree, regardless of whether I'm a prophet, an apostle, a pastor, or a teacher, I'm always going to bear that which is good. Because everything I do, I must do from identity, not from function. Because when God wanted people, he doesn't want more servants. Because he's got two-thirds of heaven at his service. He wants sons. And the whole purpose of the Spirit of God living inside of us is so that we would become sons, not servants. Because the differences between a son and a servant is a son shows initiative. Because a son has the access to the mind of Christ. A servant obeys. And oftentimes we're waiting on the Lord to speak to us about something instead of God is actually waiting on us to move into him. Because God isn't waiting around for some robots. He's interested in you as who you are as an individual. So I want us to go to John chapter number 15. I want to show you something quickly. Uh, and, and we're going to jump around. We're going to go to John 15, and then we're going to go to Jeremiah 17 and Romans 11. And by the grace of God, I'm going to get through all these scriptures. Otherwise, we're going to be here for a very long time. John chapter number 15. I hear pages going, so I'm going to give you some time to get there. But the scriptures are on the screen. Again, this is Jesus speaking. And you should always, when interpreting scripture, understand the context of the scripture as well as who is speaking and to whom he is speaking to. So you've got to understand the background of the scripture. And this is uh, Jesus towards the end before he goes into the, the, the crucifixion. John 15, 16, and 17 is very powerful uh, chapters. But it starts off with, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. In other words, whether you bring fruit or not bearing fruit, God's still going to cut into you. God's still going to make things a little bit difficult for you in your life so that you may know that he is God and that he's in the process of busy shaping his, his creation. He is the workmanship. That's what the book of Ephesians says. In other words, God is always busy with you, regardless of whether you're busy with bearing fruit or you're not bearing fruit. In other words, whether you're fruitful or not fruitful. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And pruning process is not always great. How many of you can witness and testify to that? Because when you thought you were doing well, he's still like, this branch can bear a little bit more. And he begins to cut away that which prohibits more growth. Every branch that grows bears fruit he prunes and that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I am him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And if you have your Bibles and you want to highlight that, 
highlight that verse. Without me, you can do nothing. In John chapter number 3, I think it is verse 26 or 27, it says, A man can do nothing. John 1, 26. A man can do nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. I want you to think about that because sometimes we read that scripture and we say in context of ministry, but what about your life? What about the job that you do? What about that crazy person you married to? I feel like I have to defend men this morning because of what the announcements were like. So what about that crazy woman that you've been married to that God needs to step in and make this marriage work? I can, you can do nothing unless it has been given to you from heaven. You can do nothing. And Jeremy just lost my scriptures there. You can do nothing. He abides in me and him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. You can't raise those kids. You can't stay married. You can't get a promotion and job. You can't get into your purpose or to your calling without him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is a cast out as a branch and he is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. One of the indications to know where you are with God is based on this verse right here. That when you ask of him, it will be done for you. When, you. when your prayers are not being answered, you've got to ask the question that what you're asking, is it in line with him and what he wants? Or is it what you want? Because when you are in the vine, when you are plugged into him, you begin to change. Therefore, your prayers begin to change. Because all of a sudden, you begin to ask what he wants and no longer what you want. That's why when Jesus took his disciples together and said, when his disciples said, teach us how to pray, what's the one thing that he told them to do? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Anything there that he just asked, has it anything got to do with Peter's marriage? John's calling, the fishing boat, the business, anything. He was asked, telling them that when I teach you to pray, be concerned about his will and his business. Because when I take care of his business, he takes care of my business. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. You must always remember that. And God is a king. Amen. And God is also a Jew. Jesus came as a Jew. Have you ever seen an uncomfortable Jew? They like to be comfortable. They like nice things. In other words, when I, in, he inhabits the praises of his people, in other words, when I praise him, I keep him in my house. And my house becomes uncomfortable for him. He has to change the house. In other words, he needs to get me new couches. He needs to get me a bigger TV. He needs to get me a nicer car because God himself likes to be comfortable because he's a king. God himself cannot be sick. That's why in his presence you don't experience sickness. You want to get healing, get more of his presence in your house. He, God himself is not death. You want to kill off the elements of that which is that's killing you. you, more you, you the more you get him in your house, the more death begins to leave your house. God inhabits the praises of his people. God will make it comfortable. When you want to lock God somewhere, you just have to praise him enough for him to come to your house. And when he comes to your house, he says, I don't like these things in your house. I'll begin to change these things. 
It's not you that necessarily needs to go after these things. It's God who brings the blessing, not you in search of the blessing. You search him, and in having him, you will have the blessing. Okay, I'm talking to myself. Let's continue. <laughs> Let's go to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. We're going to jump around. That's why I was going to keep it on the screen, and if you have notes, you can, you can just make some notes for yourself. And I always like starting off a verse that says, Thus saith the Lord. It sounds so legit. It sounds like God's talking. I just want to get through these scriptures and I want to show you something through these scriptures. Cursed is the man who trusts a man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and he shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and it shall, not, it shall not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. What's the one thing that God is after? That you bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Much fruit. Much fruit. That's what he's after. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. What I'm trying to do by showing you these different scriptures, I'm trying to show you that God is after who you are as a person. And when you understand who you are as a person and you are plugged into him and you're plugged into the root, all of a sudden you will begin to bear fruit. Because I'm asking you this question this morning, what is fruit? Then I'm going to ask you this question, what does your fruit look like? Because we sometimes get this confusion because we think of Galatians chapter number 5. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is gentle, patience, love, goodness, kindness. And I did this when I ran a, a home cell once. I said as an icebreaker, take the nine fruits of the Spirit, which was a challenge by itself. And then I want you to go rate yourself out of 10. Let's keep it simple. And then you had people going, and I, and I, and I, I tend to do this sometimes. I trick people. I guess. And they went like 8 out of 10, love, you know, patience. You know, I waited a long time for my wife to put her makeup on. You know, 9 out of 10, didn't complain about it. And then they rated themselves. And then I said, cool, now I write the, Jesus. And then go rate him out of 10. And then, I, then obviously, who's going to rate Jesus 9 out of 10 for anything, right? So everybody was like, 10, 10, 10. I said, great, compare yourself to Jesus. And then the, so I remember this face of this one woman. She just went and folded a paper like this, and she put it down. I was like, who was your measuring stick from the beginning? Who's your measuring stick from the beginning? Because the Bible says, I, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So who, who do you compare yourself to? Who do you run against? Who is the only opinion that you should really be mad at? What, what that you should be concerned about? Who do you have? To, who do you think about when you when you mess up in any direction? Do you go like, ah, oh, I messed up today, but I'm better than Leander, so you know, I'm not that sinner. My brother-in-law's mother's here today, so I can't use him as the example, but you're it. So, so do I compare myself to him? 
So I said to Michael, he's, I saw how he went on on Friday at, the, you know, at, at, at Warren's wedding, and I know I'm far more holy and righteous than what he is. Or is Jesus always before me? Is Christ my only center point? Where do I come from? I come from Christ. Where am I going to? I go back to Christ. Every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God, it will not return to him void. It shall accomplish in the thing that he sent it to do. You are a word spoken by God, for God, going back to God. Everything that you do is ultimately for him. You are a gospel still yet to be read by men. Your life is an epistle for others to see and witness what Jesus has done through your life. And by the end of your life, when they've read your life, they say, this is the gospel of Neil, this is the gospel of Richard, this is the gospel of Michael. It's a short gospel, but it's a gospel nonetheless. He was a sinner, then got saved. Praise the Lord. Amen. Romans 11. I want to show you this. This is a very, very important a chapter for you to understand this and i'm going to go back to the fruit now no, because you're asking me what has this got to do with fruit romans 11 from 11 i say then having ha, uh, uh, i say then i think it's because i'm standing where kelly was standing let me just move out i say then have they stumbled that they should fall this is now talking about israel certainly not but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy salvation has come to the gentiles this is a very important verse because remember from Genesis to Revelation is the revealing and the nature of, who, of, God, of God. It's not really about Israel. It's not really about Paul. It's not really about Moses. It's about showing you who God is. Just always remember that. So in other words, in this chapter here, Paul is talking about the fall of the Jews, the fall of Israel, so that God may save the Gentile nation. And through their fall, you may be saved. This is the revealing in the nature of the character of God. Why do I say that? Because sometimes it may feel that God has let you go and all of a sudden you're in a free fall. How many people feel like that sometimes? And your free fall is actually setting somebody else up for their rise. Because when I gave my life to him, I said, I will heal to you and you do with it whatever you want, me, want to do with it. If you want me to bear the sickness and disease, I'll bear the sickness and disease for your glory. Does God make people sick? No, but let me ask you a, a bigger question. Nothing that is allowed cannot happen lest it was allowed. In other words, everything that happened to you, it was allowed. By who? Because there's one person who's in control. So he allowed it, knowing the decisions that you were going to make. He knew your end from your beginning. I'm going to mess with you this Sunday morning. You're not ready for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. He allowed everything that happened to you to happen to you. And there is a bigger purpose behind why he allowed it in the first place. Because it's him who is in control. And when I healed myself to him, I trust in his nature and his character. Because he is good beyond all. That I know that even in my free fall, he is still allowing this to happen for the benefit of someone else. To provoke them to jealousy. Hold on, go back for me, please. To provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Verse 12. Now, if their fall 
is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Now I wanted to stop there for a second. How many apostles did Jesus have? How many disciples did he have? Now he had many, but he commissioned the 12. The 12 became apostles, right? You remember the story. Okay? Don't ask me to mention all of them, but I know there's a guy called Bartholomew among them, but there was, there's 12. Just trust me, I'm a preacher. Right? How big is the Jew population? How big are they? Small. In fact, God said, I chose you, not because of your size, I chose you because you were small. So God, Jesus, gave to the Jew nation 12 apostles, and he sent one to the Gentile nation. How big is the Gentile nation? Baya. This, the, the, the Bible calls them the sea. That's how much their number outnumbered the Jews. So don't think when you read this that God has all of a sudden lost the love for the Jewish nation or for Israel. He sends one guy after the Gentiles and he sends 12 after Israel. Why? Because Israel was his firstborn. Exodus chapter number 4, Moses comes in and he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my firstborn Israel go. God will always send more for his own than those outside. In other words, don't think that because you're a child of God, that God won't send you witness after witness, minister after minister, helper after helper, because you're still in his house. You're still his. Jesus died for the world and he sent him one apostle. Okay, I thought that that was pretty good. All right. Verse 14. If by any means I may provoke to, I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, those are the Israelites, and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Who's the root? Jesus the Christ. He is the root. If a tree is not plugged into the root, the if the tree is not plugged into the root, the health of the tree is located in its root. In other words, when the root is healthy, the tree will be healthy. What does your life look like? Who are you plugged into? Is Christ really the root that you draw from? What is the purpose of a root? The root is the one that sustains the tree. Why do you need sustenance and where does your sustenance come from? Your sustenance comes from Jesus. Amen? Do you draw from him? Guys, the power was load-shedded, not you. Right? Do you draw from him? Let me ask you this morning. When you get up tomorrow morning to go to work, where did your power come from to get up to go to work? Are you drawing from the root? Let's go to the next, next slide for me, please. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, that's you Gentile nations. I'm the closest one to a Jew here because of my nose. The rest of you, all Gentiles. So in other words, God was willing to break off the tree to, to graft someone else in, the wild one in. Yet while you were still sinners, he died for you. 
This is the love of God, that he is willing to break his own tree, the people that he loved so much, to make room for you. As Christians, the first time you read the word Christian, Acts 11.26, and they saw the works that the disciples did and then called them Christians, because they became little Christs, because they became symbol, symbolic of him. They were doing what he was doing. Who do you belong to? Who owns you? Who is in control of your life? And what is the purpose of your life? Paul wrote it this way and said, I am broken bread and poured out wine for the sake of others. For the sake of the mission that I've been sent on. In other words, I will allow God to do what he wants to do through my life for the benefit of other people. Okay. You being wild olive trees. That's you sinners over here. Were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. In other words, what Paul was establishing here is he's saying that the olive tree that he had broken off, the olive tree that he went in and he cut into was a fat olive tree, a healthy olive tree, an olive tree that was beautiful by itself, an olive tree that was chosen, that was part of the elect, an olive tree where salvation was poured out to it. Was, there was a pathway to say, these Israelites, these Jews are my chosen people. They're my anointed people. They are people that I would die for. They are the people that I came for. And even them I will break for the sake of you. I hope somebody here realizes how much you're loved. I hope here someone realizes how much God wants you in the fold. I hope you realize what God did to get you in the door. So do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root. But the root supports you. Because it's a beautiful tree, the tree doesn't keep the root alive. It's the root that's under the ground that keeps the tree alive. Right, let's go to the next one. Psalm chapter number one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does, it shall prosper. Just stop there for me for a second. I wanted to show you something here. In Psalm chapter number one, he who meditates on the word of God, he becomes like this tree. He becomes like this tree that bears fruit in season and out of season. He becomes like this tree because when you meditate on the word of God, you only produce the word of God. Who is the word of God? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the word of God. So the more I meditate on him, the more I begin to produce him. What is he? He is the very tree of life. You will remember your Bible in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning, when God created, he put two trees in the garden. One was the the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil the other one was life and then what does your bible say after adam was naughty and he couldn't behave himself in the club and god removed him from the club that's the garden he removed him from the garden what happened god says i will remove the tree of life lest they eat of it and they live forever here jesus comes in the gospels and he says i am the life john chapter number six unless you eat of me unless you drink of my blood you will not live he is the very tree of life he is the one that keeps us alive he is 
the one that once you've plugged into, you will only produce life. In other words, that which will come out of you will be that which was in you and who is in you and who are you plugged into. Are you following me this morning? Right, let's go to the next one. So I just thought, and, and here is one thing that I want you to know. This is the last scripture, uh, and, and, and I'm going to actually, you know, that's, that's my introduction, and then I'm going to get into the word. Second Timothy chapter number 2, verse 13. Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and then he says this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Socrates was a Greek philosopher, wrote this in 800 BC. He said, man, know thyself, full stop. And for, that was 800 BC. And we're still reading it today. Because the one thing that you should know is yourself. Well, what does this mean? This scripture here means two things. One, if God came into a room and hid himself, which he often does, and I recognize him, and I say, you're Jesus. He cannot deny himself. He needs to stand up and say, yes, it's me. Secondly, he is faithful. He is love. He is good. He is light. So he cannot deny who he is. So when you come to him and you are praying and you appeal to his goodness, he will become good to you because he cannot deny himself when you are dying in your flesh you're dying in your bones and you go to him and say father you are the one of life he cannot deny himself so therefore he begins to produce life in you he is good he is kind he is gentle when you begin to appeal to his nature in prayer his nature begins to manifest in your life in the natural world so in other words if we are faithless he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. You cannot bring your own word to pass because you are fallible. But he can bring his own word to pass because he is infallible. Though your covenant fails because you suck. Let me say it another way. He will, not, he will bring his covenant to pass because he doesn't suck. And because he is God, he will bring forth what he wants to bring forth in his time and in his season. So if we go back to John chapter number 8, and you, uh, John, 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 John chapter number 15, verse 8, and we go back there and we see that God himself is glorified when we produce fruit. The question is, my brother and sister friend, sinner, pagan worshiper, and heathens, the question is, what is fruit? What is fruit? And I've been asking this question for 11 years, and last year it hit me. You know, like that moment when you, you know, like, duh, Nicholas. Fruit is what people eat when they have been in your presence. What do people experience when they experience you? What do people get when they come to you? Because that is your fruit. And when we say, man, know thyself, it means you will know exactly who you are by the fruit you deliver. Because sometimes, and the reason why I need to talk to you about this is because there are false prophets and teachers and pastors and dodgy people out there. And then the Bible says in the end days, the elect of God, 
they will be confused. They will be given over to a spirit of stupor, if you will. They themselves will go blind because they are unable to see what is good and what is not. What is from God and what is not. Because in these days, we are in very, very much murky waters. Because not everybody who comes and professes to come in the name of God is of God. But you will know them by their fruit. Because after you have been with them and tasted them, you will see and perceive that this man has been with Jesus or this man has not been with Jesus. Because you may listen to prophets. And afterwards, and I heard a woman listening to a prophet recently, and she said, when I, after listening to him preach, I felt dirty. I felt unclean. I felt like there's something wrong. Because what you were tasting was you were tasting his fruit. Because he cannot deny who he is, as God himself cannot deny who he is. Man, know thyself. Because what you say will reveal what's inside of your heart. How you act is a revelation to who you really are. And how I know you've been with Jesus is after being spending time with you, even using this hooligan over here in the front, Michael, spending time with him, I know that though he may have issues in his flesh, it's issues when you're really struggling when you're holy. I know that there is a love of God and a goodness of Jesus. Though that I may see, it may be sinful, but his heart may be right. He might have some work, some stuff out. I'm just using him as an example. But if you, feel, if you feel like you want to pray for him, please go lay hands on him. Although he may have some stuff that he needs to work out, his heart is upright before the, law, the, the Lord. That's why I like the Afrikaans where it says, In English we say righteous. Obrach just sounds better than righteous. It means to be uprightly before God. When you sit before God, he goes, this guy is upright. He's not leaning over to the side. Not leaning over to the... We're not, we're not back at John chapter... There we go, thank you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. If God is in your life, you will bear much fruit. Are you fruitful? Now, this is interesting because in a church circles, we say, if there's lots of people in your church, we go, oh, this guy's fruitful. Because we judge by a number of people and we say that person's fruitful. We don't say what kind of fruit it is. We just say they're fruitful because weeds tend to grow easier. I'm going to stop there before I get into trouble. And I'm not against big churches. I'm not against large churches at all. Love large churches. There's a place for them. But let me ask you this question, and I'm fully not convinced I have the full answer yet. What does it mean to be fruitful? Because the one thing that God is after is your fruit. The one thing that God is after is your fruit. There is a, a plant called the Cape Fig Tree. And the first fruit of the Cape fig tree is sweet. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. The second harvest of the Cape fruit tree is extremely bitter and sour. And the reason why the tree does that is so that it may survive. Because no one eats the second lot of fruit. Because it's required, because the seeds are required to keep on multiplying. The tree that does bear fruit he prunes 
why do you prune fruit trees? For their survival, so that they may bear much more fruit. Once God is in your life, and you are tied into the root, the more you're tied into the root, the more fruitful you become because the more of Him you show. Okay. What is God really after? We are impressed by gifts. Like in Shaul, when he preached on the character, he said, the gifts get a lot of airtime. But character, nobody really cares about. As long as you put up a show for us and you get these funky lights up, then we'll come and we'll be impressed. But what's God really after? Does God require your gifts? No. He requires your heart. How do I know somebody's been with God? When this person begins to show the way that he lives or she lives that I've been with God. God is, I, I hope I'm getting the point across this morning to you. And what I believe the Lord is saying to the church is I'm after your heart. And I'm after for you to represent me. What is your purpose? Your purpose is so that you may be seen, that you may, be, that you may reveal the Son of God. Remember that whole transition that I spoke to you about, sheep, bride, and then the Son of God. Your purpose is so that you will be like the Son of God. Romans 8.29, for he foreknew, he predestined, so that you may be conformed into the image of his Son. What is God after? The more of his Son. More after himself. In the book of Revelation, we talk about the mark of the beast. What is the mark of the beast? It says those who are wise will know the sign of the mark of the beast will be 666, the number of the beast. The Bible is 66 books because the first man, the soul man, which was Adam, six is the number of man. The second six is the number of another man. His name was Jesus. He came and he opened up the world for us to be spiritual sons of God. Right? The, the last man that will come will be the false man. Who will mislead other people? 666. But interesting, those who receive the number of the beast, God will immediately cut off, the Bible says. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why? Because we say, if you've got a tattoo, it's the mark of the beast. Let me look at my tattoo friends. Well, I don't know if Monet is saved. I'll do an altar call afterwards, you need to come forward. Does God love him with his tattoos? That was way too quickly. We had to think about it. Does God love him with his tattoos? Yes. Does a tattoo bother God? No. So what is the mark? And why would God cut him off? We said it is the barcode, your credit card. I see some of you want to tuck your wallets out. Throw it towards the, the basket. Is that the mark of the beast? I wonder if this mark will not change us so that when he looks at us, he no longer recognizes us. What is God after? What does God really want? He's not impressed by your money. He's not impressed by your gifts. He's not impressed by your flashy hairstyle. What does he really want? In this, God is glorified that you bear much fruit. He's after that when people have been with you, they taste him. Because he is the root.
And the more you lean on him, the more you will show them him. And the only thing he's really after is for them to know him. To think that he was so desperate to get you that he would break the fatness of his own olive tree, the beautiful one, his son that he pulled out of Egypt, set them up in a nation, blessed them so much, sent them prophet after prophet, loved them, loved them, then at that moment break them to make room for you. What does this reveal to you? What does this show you about the nature and the character of God? Now let me ask you this question. What do you care about? What are you concerned about? Because once you have grabbed the Father's heart, you begin to care about what He cares about. When the Bible says that He gives you what the, the desires of the King's heart, Psalm 20, 21, 22, He gives the desires of the king's heart. It's not that he gave everything that David asked for, but he gave David what to want. Because David was a man after God's own heart. That God himself would reveal to him what he wanted. So he began to pray what he wanted. Brother, sister, friend, I'm saying this to you this morning because I believe that the one thing that the Lord is telling us as a church is to begin to care about the things that he cares about. Because when you begin to care about what he cares about, you no longer consider your own life and the things that you wanted. You begin to consider what he wants. And he is after a church that is fruitful. But after they have tasted your fruit, to know, I have seen that you have been with Jesus because I can taste it. What is the condition of your own fruit? And where you are in your life, because some of you are at the border of a free fall, some of you feel like you've been falling the last 20 years, know that everything that you've go through, he allowed you to go through it. But everything that he allows you to go through, there is always purpose with it. And I'm going to close off with this story. I struggled with my own health. I, was, I went for knee surgery. I walked out of knee surgery in a private hospital. I walked out with rickettsia and Q fever. And for two years, I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I struggled, I struggled, and I struggled. And eventually, I was in this little home cell group, and I opened it up, and I shared to them about my struggles. And I remember Sam, Samantha, she was a little girl like this. She said to me, wow, Nicholas, you've got so much faith. And my response was, are you stupid? Because if I had faith, I'd be healed. And this is a two-year journey, and I'm not healed. And she says, no, to have gone through what you have gone through to still do for Jesus what you do. She said, you have given me faith. And God dropped it to my spirit and said, that was the point. And I said, if that's your will, then I'll carry this. The next Sunday I got healed. When you understand why God allowed you to go through what you went through, it wasn't for you. Everything that you have is for him. We always, as preachers, after your money. Where he's like, you know, 10% is old school, guys. God wants everything now in the New Testament. And we mean that because we want your money. That's what we're after. I'm going to tell you the truth. But the honest truth is, he's after everything. Everything. Does God care about your house? Only because you care about it. Does God care about your car? Only because you care about it. Does God care about your dogs? Only because you care about it. 
I have these crazy neighbors. They're sitting in about that side of the church. And every time the cat goes missing, they're like, we'll pray. I'm like, it's a cat. Why are you praying for it? Haven't you got something else better to pray for? And she's like, I'm praying that this cat come back. I'm like, okay, I'll pray with you. Lord, save the cat. Here comes, here comes the cat. I'm like, how many times did this cat actually die? And then, Because God cares about what you care about. But God cares about you. He's after your heart. He's after your mind. He's after you. God's not broke. He doesn't care how much you have and how much you don't have. But how's your heart this morning? What's the condition of your tree this morning? He is the tree of life. What's really going on here? How a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And your mouth will always tell us what you're really thinking. So on that note, to mess with you this Sunday morning, will you get to your feet and we can close off in prayer?